0: section forty two of cleek of scotland yard by thomas w Hanshu. this librivox recording is in the public domain epilogue the affair of the man who was found part two it was exactly half past one o'clock when lieutenant arthur de land a big handsome fair-haired fair-moustached fellow with the stamp of the army all over him turned up at Bosque Priory with an undersized Indian servant and an oversized kit, and was presented to his hostess and to the several members of the house party, by all of whom he was voted a decided acquisition before he had been an hour under the priory's roof. It is odd how one's fancies sometimes go he found the honourable mrs carruthers a sweet gentle dove-like little woman for whom he did not care in the least degree and he found lady essington's son a rollicking bubbling overgrown boy of two-and-twenty whom in spite of frivolous upbringing and a rather pronounced brusqueness toward his mother he fancied very much indeed In fact, he played right up to Mr. Claude Essington, as our American cousins say, and Mr. Claude Essington, fancying him hugely, took him to his heart forthwith and blurted out his sentiments with almost small-boy candour. "'I say, Deland, you're a spiffing sport. I like you,' he said bluntly, after they'd played one or two sets of tennis with the ladies and done their social duties generally. If things look up a bit and I'm able to go back to Oxford for the next term, and the Lord knows how I shall, if the Mater doesn't succeed in touching Carruthers for some money, for we're jolly near broke and up to our eyes in debt. But if I do go back and you're in England still, I'll have you up for the May week and give you the time of your life. Oh, Lord, here's the Mater coming now. Let's hook it. Come round to the stables, will you, and have a look at my collection. Pippin, Lord, they'll interest you. They did, for on investigation the collection proved to be made up of pigeons, magpies, parakeets, white mice, monkeys, and even a tame squirrel, all of which came forth at their master's call and swarmed or flocked all over him. Now then, Dolly Varden, you keep your thieving tongs away from my scarf-pin, old lady exclaimed this enthusiast to a magpie which perched upon his shoulder and immediately made a peck at the small pearl in his necktie awfulest old thief and vagrant that ever sprouted a feather this beauty he explained to cleek as he smoothed the magpie's head steal your eye teeth if she could get at them and goes off on the loose like a blessed wandering gypsy lost her for three days and nights a couple of weeks ago and the lord knows where the old vagrant put in her time What's that? The white stuff on her beak. Blessed if I know. Been pecking at a wall or something, I reckon. And hello. There's Carruthers and his little lordships strolling about hand in hand. Let's go and have a word with them. Strathmere's amazingly fond of my mice and birds. With that, he walked away with the mice and the monkeys and the squirrel clinging to him, and those of the birds that were not perched upon his shoulders or his hands circling around his head with a flurry of moving wings cleek followed a word in private with the honourable felix was accountable for his appearance in the grounds with the boy and cleek was anxious to get a good look at him without exciting any possible suspicion in lady essington's mind regarding the lieutenant's interest in him He was a bonny little chap, this last Earl of Strathmere, with a head and face that might have done duty for one of Raphael's cherubim, and the big wonder-eyes that make baby faces so alluring. Strathmere, this is Lieutenant Deland. Come all the way from India to visit us, said the Honourable Felix, as Cleek went down on his knees and spoke to the boy, examining him carefully the while. "'Won't you tell him you are pleased to see him?' "'Pleased to see you,' said the boy, "'then broke into a shout of glee "'as he caught sight of young Essington with the animals and birds. "'Pity birdies! Pity mouses! Give, give!' "'he exclaimed eagerly, stretching forth his little hands. "'Certainly! Which will you have, old chap, "'magpie, parakeet, pigeon, monkey or mice?' "'said young Essington gaily here take the lot and be happy then he made as if to bundle them all into the child's arms and might have succeeded in doing so but that cleek rose up and came between them and the boy do have some sense essington he rapped out sharply those things may not bite nor claw you but one can't be sure when they are handled by someone else besides the boy is not well and he ought not to be frightened sorry old chap always putting my foot into it but strathmere likes em don't you bonny boy and i didn't think take them back to the stables and let's have a go at billiards for an hour or two before tea said Cleek, turning as essington walked away and looking after him with narrowed eyes and lips indrawn when man and birds were out of sight however he made a sharp and sudden sound and almost in a twinkling his indian servant slipped into sight from behind a nearby hedge get round there and examine those birds after he's left them said cleek in a swift whisper there's one a magpie with something smeared on its beak find out what it is and bring me a sample look sharp right you are sir answered in excellent cockney the undersized person addressed I'll spread one of me famous tickled tootsies and nip in and catch the blooming hawk as soon as Sir Joss's back is turned, Governor. I'm off as the squib said to the match when it started blowing of him up. Then the face disappeared again, and the child and the two men were again alone together. Good God, man! Exclaimed the Honorable Felix in a lowered voice of strong excitement you can't possibly believe that he that dear lovable boy oh it is beyond belief nothing is beyond belief in my line my friend recollect that even lucifer was an angel once i know the means employed to bring about this touching softly the three red spots on his little lordship's neck "'but I have yet to decide how the thing is administered and by whom. "'Frankly, I do not believe it is done with a bird's beak, "'though that too is possible, wild as it seems. "'But by this time tomorrow I promise you the riddle shall be solved. "'Shh, don't speak, he's coming back. "'Take the boy into your own room tonight, but leave the door unfastened.' i'm coming down to watch by him with you let him first be put into the regular nursery however then take him out without the knowledge of any living soul of any you hear and i will be with you before midnight that night two curious things happened the first was that at a quarter to seven when martha the nursemaid coming up into the nursery to put his little lordship to bed found lieutenant deland who was supposed to be dressing for dinner at the time standing in the middle of the room looking all about the place don't be startled nurse," he said as he looked round and saw her your master has asked me to design a new decoration for this room and i'm having a peep about in quest of inspiration ah strathmere dustman's time i see pleasant dreams to you old chap see you in the morning when you're awake say good-night to the gentleman your lordship said the nurse laying both hands on his shoulders and leading him forward whereupon he began to whine sleepily want sambo want sambo and to rub his fists into his eyes yes dearie nanny'll get samble for your lordship after your lordship has said good-night to the gentleman soothed the nurse and held him gently until he had done so good-night old chap said cleek hello nurse got a sore finger have you eh how did that happen it looks painful it is sir." though i can't for the life of me think whatever could have made a thing so bad from just scratching one's finger unless it could have happened that there was something poisonous on the wretched magpie's claws one never can be sure where those nasty things go nor what they dip into the magpie repeated cleek what do you mean by that nurse have you had an unpleasant experience with a magpie then yes sir that big one of mr essington's the nasty creature that's always flying about it was a fortnight ago sir mistress's pet dog had got into the nursery and laid hold of sambo which is his lordship's rag doll sir as he never will go to sleep without tore it well nigh to pieces did the dog and knowing how his lordship would cry and mourn if he saw it like that I fetched in my work-basket and started to mend it. I'd just got it pulled into something like shape and was about to sew it up when I was called out of the room for a few minutes, and when I came back there was that wretched magpie that had been missing for several days right inside my work-basket, trying to steal my reels of cotton, sir. It had come in through the open window, like it so often does, nasty thing, i loathe magpies and i believe that that one knows it anyway when i caught up a towel and began to flick at it to get it out of the room it turned on me and scratched or pecked my finger and it's been bad ever since Cook says she thinks i must have touched it against something poisonous after the skin was broken maybe i did sir but i can't think what cleek made no comment merely turned on his heel and walked out of the room the second curious thing occurred between nine o'clock and half-past when the gentlemen of the party were lingering at the table over postprandial liqueurs and cigars and the ladies had adjourned to the drawing-room a recollection of having carelessly left his kit-bag unlocked drew cleek to invent an excuse for leaving the room for a minute or two and send him speeding up the stairs the gas in the upper halls had been lowered while the members of the household were below the passages were dim and shadowy and the thick carpet on halls and stairs gave forth never a murmur of sound from under his feet nor from under the feet of yet another person who had gone like he but by a different staircase to the floors above it was therefore only by the merest chance that he looked down one of the passages in passing and saw a swift-moving figure a woman's cross it at the lower end and pass hastily into the nursery of the sleeping boy and whether her purpose was a good or an evil one it was something of a shock to realize that the woman who was doing this was the honourable mrs carruthers he locked the kit-bag and went back to the dining-room just as the little gathering was breaking up and mr claude essington who always fed his magpies and his other pets himself was bewailing the fact that he had forgotten the beauties until this minute "'and was smoothing out an old newspaper "'in which to wrap the scraps of cheese and meat "'he had sent the butler to the kitchen to procure. "'The Honourable Felix looked up at Cleek "'with a question in his eye. "'No,' he contrived to whisper in reply. "'It was not anything poisonous, merely candle-wax. "'The bird had flown in through the storeroom window, "'and the housekeeper caught it carrying away candles one by one.' The Honourable Felix made no response, nor would it have been heard had he done so, for just at that moment young Essington, whose eye had been caught by something in the paper, burst out into a loud guffaw. "'I say, this is rich. Listen here, you fellows. Lay you a tenner that the chap who wrote this was a paddywhack, for a finer bull never escaped from a tipperary paddock.' "'Lost!' somewhere between portsmouth and london or some other spot on the way a small black leather bag containing a death certificate and some other things of no value to anybody but the owner finder will be liberally rewarded if all contents are returned intact to dj apostrophe m four twenty five savile row west there's a beautiful example of english as she has advertised for you and if-hello deland old chap what's the matter with you for cleek had suddenly jumped up and catching the honourable felix by the shoulder was hurrying him out of the room just thought of something that's all got to make a run be with you again before bedtime he answered evasively but once on the other side of the door write me down an ass he quoted turning to his host no don't ask any questions lend me your auto and your chauffeur call up both as quickly as possible wait up for me and keep your wife and lady essington and her son waiting up too i said to-morrow i would answer the riddle did i not well then if i'm not the blindest bat that ever flew i'll give you that answer to-night then he turned round and raced upstairs for his hat and coat and ten minutes later was pelting off Londonwood as fast as a thousand-pound panard could carry him it was close to one o'clock when he came back and walked into the drawing-room of the priory accompanied by a sedate and bespectacled gentleman of undoubted celtic origin whom he introduced as dr james o'malley ladies and gentlemen m d dublin lady essington and her son acknowledged the introduction by an inclination of the head the honourable felix and mrs carruthers ditto then her ladyship's son spoke up in his usual blunt outspoken way i say dilland what's in the wind he asked what lark are you up to now felix says you've got a clinking big surprise for us all and here we are dear boy all primed and ready for it let's have it there's a good chap very well so you shall he replied but first of all let me lay aside a useless mask and acknowledge that i am not an indian army officer i am a simple police detective sometimes called george headland your ladyship and sometimes george headland she broke in sharply getting up and then sitting down again pale and shaken and you came you came after all oh thank you thank you i know you would not confess this unless you have succeeded oh you may know at last you may know she added turning upon the honourable felix and his wife i sent for him i brought him here i want to know and i will know whose hand it is that is striking at strathmere's life my child's child the dearest thing to me in all the world i don't care what i suffer i don't care what i lose i don't care if the courts award him to the veriest stranger so that his dear little life is spared and he is put beyond all danger for good and all real love shone in her face and eyes as she said this and it was the certainty of that which surprised carruthers and his wife as much as the words she spoke good heavens is this thing true the honourable felix turned to cleek as he spoke were you in her pay, too? Was she also working for the salvation of the boy? Yes, he made answer. I entered into her service under the name of George Headland, Mr. Carruthers, the service of a good woman whom I misjudged far enough to give her a fictitious name. I entered into yours by one to which I have a better right, Hamilton Cleek. 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 both her ladyship and her son were on their feet like a flash there was a breath of silence and then well i'm dashed blurted out young essington cleek eh the great cleek scotland and sat down again overcome yes cleek my friend cleek ladies and gentlemen all and now that the mask is off let me tell you a short little story which-no pardon mr essington don't leave the room please i wish you too to hear wasn't going to leave it only going to shut the door ah i see allow me it is now ladies and gentlemen exactly fourteen days since our friend dr o'malley here coming up from Portsmouth on his motorcycle after attending a patient who that day had died, was overcome by the extreme heat and the exertion of trying to fight off a belligerent magpie which flew out of the woods and persistently attacked him, and falling to the ground lost consciousness. When he regained it he was in the Charing Cross Hospital, and all that he knew of his being there was that a motorist who had picked him and his cycle up on the road had carried him there and turned him over to the authorities he himself was unable however to place the exact locality in which he was travelling at the time of the accident otherwise we should not have had that extremely interesting advertisement which mr essington read out this evening for the doctor had lost a small black bag containing something extremely valuable which he was carrying at the time and which supplies the solution to this interesting riddle how do you ask come with me all of you to mr carruthers room where his little lordship is sleeping and learn that for yourselves they rose at his word and followed him upstairs and there in a dimly lit room the sleeping child lay with an old rag doll hugged up close to him its painted face resting in the curve of his little neck you want to know from where proceed these mysterious attacks who and what it is that harms the child said cleek as he went forward on tiptoe and gently withdrawing the doll held it up here it is then this is the culprit this thing here you want to know how then by this means look see he thrust the blade of a pocket-knife into the doll and with one sweep ripped it open and dipping in his fingers drew from the cotton wool and rags with which the thing was stuffed a slim close stoppered glass phial, in which something that glowed and gave off constant sparks of light shimmered and burnt with a restless fire is this it doctor he said holding the thing up yes oh my god yes he cried out as he clutched at it, a wonder of the heavens sure that the child wasn't disfigured for life or perhaps killed for ever. A half grain of it, a half grain of radium, ladies and gentlemen, enough to burn a hole through the divil himself if he lay long enough agin it. Radium! Radium? The word was voiced on every side, and the two women and two men crowded close to look at the thing radium in the doll radium i'd say land, i mean to say mr cleek in god's name who could have put the cursed thing there your magpie mr essington replied cleek and with that brief preface told of martha the nurse and of the torn doll and of the magpie that flew into the room while the girl was away the wretched thing must have picked it up when the doctor fell and lost consciousness and the open bag lay unguarded he said and with its propensity for stealing and hiding things it flew with it into the nursery and hid it in the torn doll martha did not see it of course when she sewed the doll up but the scratch she received from the magpie presented a raw surface to the action of the mineral and its effect was instant and most violent. What's that? No, Mr. Carruthers, no one is guilty. No one has even tried to injure his lordship. Chance only is to blame, and chance cannot be punished. As for the rest, do me a favour, dear friend, in place of any other kind of reward. Look to it that this young chap here gets enough out of the income of the estate to continue his course at Oxford, and that's all. It was not, however, for while he was still speaking, a strange and even startling interruption occurred. A liveried servant, pushing the door open gently, stepped into the room bearing a small silver salver upon which a letter lay. "'Well, upon my word, Johnston, this is rather an original sort of performance, isn't it?' exclaimed Carruthers, indignant over the intrusion. "'I beg your pardon, sir, but I did knock,' he apologised. "'I knocked twice, in fact, but no one seemed to hear, and as I had been told it was a matter of more than life and death, I presumed. Letter for Lieutenant Deland, sir.' A gentleman of the name of Narkom in a motor, sir, at the door asked me to deliver it at once and under any and all circumstances. Cleek looked at the letter, saw that it was enclosed in a plain unaddressed envelope, asked to be excused, and stepped out into the passage with it. That Narkom should have come for him like this, should have risked the upsetting of a case by appearing before he knew if it was settled... Or indeed, likely to be, could mean but one thing that his errand was one of overwhelming importance, of more moment than anything else in the world. He tore off the envelope with hands that shook and spread open the sheet of paper it contained. There was but one single line upon it, but that line, penned in that hand, would have called him from the world's end come to me at once ailsa he read and was on his way downstairs like a shot in the lower hall the butler stood holding his hat and coat ready for him to jump into them at once my uh, young servant quick as you can said cleek grabbing the hat and hurrying into the coat already outside sir in the motor with the gentleman the butler gave back then opened the door and stepped aside, holding it back for him and bowing deferentially. And the light of the hall, streaking out into the night, showed a flight of shallow steps, the blue limousine at the foot of them, with Leonard in the driver's seat and dollops beside him, and standing on the lowest step of all, Mr. Narkom holding open the car's door and looking curiously pale and solemn what is it is she hurt? has anything happened to her cleek jumbled the three questions into one unbroken breath as he came running down the steps and caught at the superintendent's arm speak up don't stand looking at me like a dumb thing is anything wrong with miss lorne nothing nothing at all thank god then why why for what reason has she sent for me where is she speak up "'In town, waiting for you. At the Moravanian embassy?' "'At the... Good God, how come she to be there?' "'I took her. You told me if anything happened to you that I thought she ought to know. "'Please get in and let us be off, sir. Sire, whichever it ought to be, "'I don't know the proper form of address.' i've never had any personal dealings with royalty before the hand that rested on his arm tightened its grip the very instant that word royalty passed his lips now it relaxed suddenly dropped away and he scarcely recognized the voice that spoke next so unlike to cleek's it was so thick was the tremulous note that pulsated through it royalty it repeated speak up please what have you found out what do you know of me that you make use of that term what everybody in the world will know by tomorrow. count irma has told count irma has come as the special envoy of the people for queen karma's son for the king they want for you flung out narkom getting excited as he proceeded it's all out at last and i know now everybody does i'm to lose you mauravania is to take you from me after all a palace is to have you not the yard get in please sir sir your majesty get in they're waiting for you at the embassy "'Get in and go. "'Good luck to you. "'God bless you. "'I mean that. "'It's just about going to break my heart, Cleek, "'but I mean it every word. "'Mind the steps, sir. "'Make room for me on the seat there, you two, "'and then off to the embassy as fast as you can streak it, Leonard. "'His Majesty is all ready to start.' "'Not yet, please.' voice said quietly then a hand reached out from the interior of the limousine dropped upon mr narkom's shoulder and tightening there drew him over the step and into the car your old seat my friend here beside me my memory is not a short one and my affections not fickle all right now Leonard let her go then the door closed with a smack, the limousine came round with a swing, and just as in those other days when it was the law that called not the trumpet peal from a throne, the car went bounding off at the good old mile-a-minute clip on its flyaway race for London. It ended that race in front of the Moravanian embassy and cleek's love for the spectacular must have come near to being surfeited that night for the building was one blaze of light one glamour of flags and flowers and festooned bunting and looking up the steps down which a crimson carpet ran across the pavement to the very curbstone he could see a double line of soldiers in the glittering white and silver of the mauravanian royal guard Plumed and helmeted, standing with swords at salute, waiting to receive him, and over the arched doorway, the royal arms emblazoned, and above them, picked out in winking gas-jets a wreath of laurels surrounding the monogram mr which stood for Maximilian Rex, a flame against a marble background. Here we are at last, sir said Narkom, as the car stopped he had learned by this time that sire belonged to the stage in the middle ages and alighting held back the door that cleek might get out afterward he declared that that was the proudest moment of his life for if it was not the proudest of cleek's his looks belied him for as his foot touched the crimson carpet, a band within swung into the stately measure of the Moravian national anthem. An escort came down the hall and down the steps and lined up on either side of him. And if ever man looked proud of his inheritance, that man was he. He went on up the steps and down the long hall with a chorus of Vivat Maximilian! Vivat Le Roi! Following him and the sound of the national anthem ringing in his ears. Then, all of a moment, the escort fell back, doors opened, he found himself in a room that blazed with lights, that echoed with the sound of many vivats, the stir of many bodies, and, looking about, saw that he was surrounded by a kneeling gathering, and that one man in particular was at his feet sobbing. He looked down and saw that that man was Irma and smiled and put out his hand. The Count bent over and touched it with his lips. Majesty, I never forgot. Majesty, I worked for it, fought for it, ever since that night, he said. I would have fought for it ever if it need have been. But it was not see it was not it was god's will and it was our people's my peoples cleek repeated his head going back his eyes lighting with a pride and a happiness beyond all telling oh mauravania dear land dear country mine again But hardly had the ecstasy of that thought laid its spell upon him when there came another not less divine and his eyes went round the gathering in quest of one who should be here at his side to share this glorious moment with him she had come for that purpose narkom had said so where was she then why did she hold herself in the background at such a time as this he saw her at that very moment The gathering had risen, and she with them, holding aloof at the far end of the room. There was a smile on her lips, but even at that distance he could see that she was very, very pale, and that there was a shadow of pain in her dear eyes. "'We both have battled for an ideal, Count,' he said with a happy little laugh. "'Here is mine. Here is what I have fought for.' and crossing the room he went straight to ailsa with both hands outstretched to her and his face fairly beaming but it needed not the little shocked breath he heard upon all sides to dash that bright look from his face and to bring him to a sudden halt for at his coming ailsa had dropped the deep curtsy which is the dew of royalty and was moving away from him backward which is royalty's due also ailsa he said moving toward her with a sharp and sudden step ailsa don't be absurd it is too silly to think that form should stand with you too take my hand take it your majesty take it i tell you he repeated almost roughly good god do you think that this can make any difference take my hand do you hear she obeyed him this time but as her fingers rested upon his he saw that they were quite ringless that the sign of their engagement had been removed and caught her to him with a passionate sort of fierceness that was a reproach in itself could you think so meanly of me could you he cried where is the ring in my pocket i took it off when i heard put it on again no give it to me and let me do that myself here before them all kings must have queens must they not you were always mine you are always going to be even the day of our wedding is not to be changed oh hush she made answer one's duty to one's country must always stand first with kings must it kings after all are only men and a man's first duty is to the one woman of his heart not with kings there is a different rule a different law oh let me go please i know i fully realize it would be different with you if it were possible but it is the penalty one must pay for kingship dear royalty must mate with royalty not with a woman of the people it is the law of all kingdoms the immutable law it was he had forgotten that and it came upon him now with a shock of bitter recollection for a moment he stood silent the colour draining out of his face the light fading slowly from his eyes. Then, of a sudden, he looked over the glittering room and across its breadth at Irma. "'It would not be possible, then,' he asked. "'Not as a royal consort, sir. The people's choice in that respect would lie with the hereditary princess of Danubia.' i have already explained that to mademoiselle but if it should be your majesty's pleasure to take a morganatic wife cut that rapped in cleek's voice like the snap of a whiplash so then one is to sell one's honour for a crown break a woman's life for a kingdom and become a royal adulterer for the sake of a throne and sceptre but majesty one's duty to one's country is a sacred thing not so sacred as one's redeemer count and under god here is mine he threw back heatedly mauravania forgot once she will forget again she must forget my lords and gentlemen i decline her flattering offer my only kingdom is here in this dear woman's arms walk with me ailsa walk with me always you said you would walk with me dear as my queen and my wife and putting his arm about her and holding her close and setting his back to the lights and the flags and the glittering guard he passed with head erect through the murmuring gathering, and went down and out with her, to the blue limousine, to the yard service again, and to those better things which are the true crown of a man's life. At the foot of the steps, Narkom and Dollops caught up with him, and the boy's eager hand plucked at his sleeve. "Governor, good love ye!" God love you, sir. You're a man, you are," he said, with a sort of sob in his voice. "I'm glad you chucked it. It was breaking my heart to think that I'd have to call you sire all the rest of my day, sir, like as if you was a bloomin' horse." End of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshu, recorded for LibriVox by Ruth Golding, two thousand and thirteen.